Hey there, Fangirl Nation. It is Tracy, as always, joined by my co-host, Stephanie McCarroll. Steph, how are you today? I'm doing well. It's exciting to get going into the NFL draft, and I'm very excited about today's guest. Yes, we have a fantastic guest today, uh, ESPN's Todd McShay. We are very honored to have you on the pod. Good morning, Todd. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. We are getting excited for the draft, which is two weeks away. I can't believe we're finally here. I'm sure for you. Yeah. It... I'm sorry, go ahead. I said, I know. It's a, it's a relief, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say for you, I'm sure you're like counting down the days. Um as you're mock drafting, um, let's get right into it. You obviously are one of the premier, if not the most premier person to talk about the NFL draft. Your mock drafts are like the Bible for those of us uh, getting ready for draft day. Can you talk to us a little bit about your process, um, how you evaluate, and, and how you come up with these mock drafts? Well, it, it actually starts, like I'll start in, on the 2020 draft in in May, basically May 1st, and start evaluating players, watching tape, and getting getting ahead on about 150 of the guys. And then I, I go out to games every week throughout the season, which, which helps meeting with coaches and players and getting to know more about them in the background. And then once the season's over, then it's I spend basically most of three months just watching tape on players and, and evaluating them and trying to then basically rank them off of my evaluations of each player. And then the last part of the process, in terms of getting the rankings as close to the correct as I can, is talking to NFL teams, friends in the league, and, and getting advice on you know the character issues that I might not know about and some of the medical issues that, that maybe have not gone public. So just to make sure I don't have a guy in the first round who belongs there from a talent standpoint but has some – some issues off the field or, or medically, they will drop them out. So once that's set, then it's basically just lining up needs with um, with players and, and where they belong. And then any rumors you start to hear, I, the closer I get, I mean, I don't, early on in the process, when we do the first couple mock drafts, it's just me putting guys where I think it makes sense. The very last one, I'll stay up probably too late calling people in the league and trying to get a feel for where – you know, if these three guys are on the board, what direction would you, you know, do you think your your team would go? So that helps narrow it down a little bit. But as you well know, and I don't, I worry much more about my rankings and how I evaluate the player than a, than a mock draft. Do I want to beat Kuiper on draft day? Yeah, of course. <laughs> but um, you know, if one, if there's one trade or something happens and the trickle down effect, I'm not, I'm not all that worried. If, if I only have six or seven guys correct to the exact team in the exact spot when the first round's over. How has it changed over the years since you first started doing this to today? How is how has your evaluation process changed and how have you seen some of the game change? Um, the evaluation process hasn't changed much at all, except I've got to be more efficient with my time because the TV part of it has changed a lot. You know, we used to, I used to go to the combine for four days with one producer with one camera and, and just do one hit at the end of the day and, and be done with it and could spend the rest of the day worrying about the players and everything else. Now it's 
seven hours worth of shows and mm-hmm. five different people on air and six different producers and and a whole set, you know? So it's been amazing to see how different the attention is now on, on the league in general, but I think especially on the draft during this pre-draft process and, and how much more emphasis ESPN and, and other networks have, have put on it. So it's great for business, but I've got to, it makes me, uh, you know, get ahead more and it's more efficient with, with time. I, I just, I gotta, I've got to balance it out more. That makes sense. So looking uh, into this year's draft, I was looking at uh, your most recent mock draft. You have Kyler Murray uh, going to the Cardinals. Um, I cover the 49ers, and I'm a 49ers fan, so many of the people listening will be really excited about that um, because of Bosa. But uh, can you talk a little bit about this most recent mock draft um, and some of the the picks you picked, especially in the first 10 picks and kind of how you got there? Yeah, this, this last one, Kuiper loves mock drafts, so he, he can do one a day. <laughs> uh, so when he, he starts to create different ones to, in order to get me to do more stuff. So, uh, <laughs> the, the most recent one is what we would do if we were the GM of the 32 teams. And so basically I just went through and then who would I take? And if I was, if I was picking a one, I would take. Tyler Murray, my, my head coach, is a first-year coach like Cliff Kingsbury, and, and is coming in, and, and that's what he wants, to run his system. I hired Cliff Kingsbury, in theory, to because of his offensive mind and to run his offense. And if he thinks Kyler's a better fit than Josh Rosen, then we gotta, we've got to do the right thing and pull the trigger, even though it's a very unique circumstance and very unusual. Um, after that, you know, going with with Bosa seemed easy at two. I think he's the best player in the draft. At three, it was more of a um, little more of a difficult decision because, first of all, I think the Jets are going to wind up trading out anyway. But if they stay at three, then you've got Josh Allen fits a bigger need as an outside edge rusher versus Quentin Williams from Alabama, who who's a better player, mm-hmm. defensive tackle, but he's just not as big of a need. So I I generally favor the better player, and we can figure out the needs later. So I went with Williams there, then Josh Allen to Oakland. Devin White was easy. He's a linebacker, great character guy. He's going to be the face of a defense, and Tampa Bay needs that kind of leadership, and he would be a great fit for, for the Buccaneers. Then the Giants, I don't think that they're going to take Haskins at six, but I would. <laughs> I just don't – I think two years in a row picking in the top ten, if you don't come away with a quarterback – when your quarterback is aging and, and on his last legs, then, then, then what are we doing? You know, so I, I, if it's Drew Locke, fine. Haskins have got graded slightly higher. Um, that's kind of how I got through the, the first six. So I, you bring up an interesting point there, and uh, Steph, I'm sure you would find this interesting as well. You said you don't think they'll pick him at six, but you would. And how much does that come into play during your different mock drafts? Like, how important is it to be right and beat Kuiper, and how important is it to just go with what you think is right? Well, for this one, it was just what I wanted to do, do, because that was called the grade A mock draft. But for a regular (laughs) mock draft, if I was redoing a regular mock draft right now, I I would have Ed Oliver go to the Giants 
and I'd have to figure out where Haskins was going to fall. Mm-hmm. And then if that's the case, then the, the Giants would have to, I think, trade up from 17 to try to go get the quarterback they want to get ahead of teams like Denver, Cincinnati at 10 and 11. Miami at 13, Washington at 15 all have varying quarterback needs. So, um, you know, again, if, if this is the night before the draft, I would not have Dwayne Haskins going to the Giants mm-hmm. at six. But this was kind of a different exercise. Okay, that's interesting. Um, this draft is a very, very strong draft for wide receivers. Uh, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit um, about, in some of those later rounds, uh, players that people should be looking out for and keeping their eye on. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because there's, there are a couple of guys that you feel good about in the first round. But I would rather, from a value standpoint, draft a, spend a second, third, fourth round pick on a receiver. I just think there's there's so many bigger receivers this year that you can find someone who's going to create matchup problems. Like Nikhil Hunter from Nikhil Harry from Arizona State, six foot three. Um, JJ Arcega Whiteside from Stanford, six two two twenty five. Miles Boykin from Notre Dame ran a four four two at six four two hundred and twenty pounds. Hakeem Butler from Iowa State, 6'5". Kelvin Harmon from North Carolina State, 6'3". So there's just a bunch of these big receivers that you can get throughout day two. And then there's some some other guys that have value as well. I think Devo Samuel as a slot receiver out of South Carolina would be a great value pick in, in round two. Paris Campbell ran a 4-3-1 um, coming out of Ohio State and, and can be a difference maker with the ball in his hands. Um, Andy Isabella ran a 4-4 coming out of UMass. He's a little slot receiver. Another Ohio State guy, uh, Terry McLaurin, ran a 4-3-5 and is the best special teams player in this entire draft. So there's there's value, I think, late in the draft. I mean, all the way through the fourth into the fifth round at the wide receiver position. Is there any other position groups that you feel are particularly strong in this draft, maybe compared to last year's draft or the last couple of years? I think tight end's a good group. You usually don't have three guys that we talk about potentially in the first round. That's what we have with the two Iowa tight ends, TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant, and Irv Smith from Alabama. But then beyond that, Chase Sternberger from Texas A&M, Dawson Knox from Mississippi, Holly Warren from, from San Diego State, Josh Oliver from San Jose State. They're not big names nationally. They didn't all play, you know, have huge careers and the biggest stages, but they're all really good football players. And usually you, you kind of, it runs dry at tight end, but I've got, I've got 13 guys in the first five rounds, which is a lot more than, than normal. Um, the defensive line, we've, you know, everyone's talked about it. This year's group is, is excellent. It's one of the best I can ever remember. Um, you know, guys like Quinn Oliver, defensive ta- uh, Quinn and Williams, Ed Oliver, defensive tackle, Christian Wilkin, Dexter Lawrence, both from Clemson, Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State, Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame, all could be first-round picks. And then there's depth behind it as well. And then when you get the defensive end, it's, it's maybe not quite as strong as defensive tackle, but it's still pretty darn good. Bosa, Sean Gary from Michigan, Montez Sweat from Mississippi State, Cleveland Farrell, the, the third defensive lineman from Clemson. And then there's a bunch of, I don't want to say no names, but players that people don't really know about in like rounds two and three 
L.J. Collier from TCU, and Jalen Ferguson from Louisiana Tech, Old Dominion, Zoshane Zimenez. Um, they're just really good football players. And, and teams, outside of quarterback, there's nothing more important than getting pressure on the quarterback in this league right now. So teams are uh, they're pretty fired up, even though TV executives aren't because it's not the, the greatest running back and quarterback draft terms of name recognition, but NFL teams are, are fired up about how much how deep these uh, these classes are in terms of the, the defensive linemen and pass rushers. That's um this is Stephanie here and I, I saw in your mock draft that you had um basically all the wide receivers going second and third. You had one um kind of surprise with TCU um collier to the Patriots. And I think you're like the only one that I've seen take that wide receiver at that position. And then you also switched it up a couple of times where you um, you swapped like um, Josh Allen and uh, sorry uh, Williams. What makes you switch those yep. at the last minute? And you know what 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 is it about the players? Because it seems like they're so much alike. So how how do you how do you switch those at the last minute? Um, specifically with Williams and, and Allen, like I mentioned before, I I just because this is the mock, the mock draft where I make the decision for the team and, and act as the GM, I would take Williams over Allen. I, I haven't heard, and I'm still working on it. But if if I hear that the Jets would take Allen over Williams simply because because they have a bigger need for an edge rusher rather than an interior player, then um, then I would. I would just go with Allen there. But, I, you know, Bosa, Williams, Allen, Devin White, they're the four best players, in my opinion, in this entire draft. And they're all on the defensive side. And if they get bumped out, it'll be because teams are taking quarterbacks uh, ahead of them. But I can't imagine a scenario where any one of them is not picked in the top ten and, and Bosa and Williams specifically in the top five. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> um. Are there any major surprises that you think we'll see in this draft? And I understand that the draft is two weeks from tomorrow, so you may not be able to answer that right this second. But if the draft were today, are there any major surprises that you think would surprise fans, not so much NFL teams that would surprise fans? Um, I think the quarterbacks really, that's kind of the, the wild card right now because we're all assuming Kyler Murray will be the first pick at Arizona and we assume it because that's what we're hearing from from people close to the situation. Uh, but I think Haskins, where Dwayne Haskins goes, could be the big story after that. I mean, he, you know, we've talked about him as a top ten pick, but if he gets past the Giants at six and the team doesn't trade up, which would be unusual because eleven of the last twelve quarterbacks drafted in the first round have teams have traded up for, and the only one that wasn't traded up for is Baker Mayfield. And, because Cleveland was picking a one and nowhere nowhere to move up. So, you know, we've seen teams that target their guy and go up and, and get him. So I, I think which team is going to wind up doing that will probably be the – I don't know if it will be a surprise, but could there be a team that we didn't expect? Um, like a – you know, like the Chargers, could they, could they take a, a quarterback? You know, will New England package some of their 12 picks and go up and get a guy in the first round – uh, quarterback, 
or will they go up and get, try to get a tight end because they, they have so many picks to, to work with. Um, you know, trades are usually the big the big thing, and quarterbacks where they land are usually the other big story. As you're starting to evaluate players, is it is it funny, scary, interesting um, when you're starting to evaluate the kids of players you were evaluating several years ago? <laughs> it's scary is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Sobering and depressing all at the same time. Um, yeah, I mean, like Patrick Sertan's son is the quarterback at, at Alabama. And I remember like it was yesterday, you know, doing his evaluation. So, yeah, it's, it's starting to get to that point. Kuiper's definitely got a longer list of catalog, catalog of it, if you will. But, um, but I'm, I'm starting to see it happen. So, it's a good thing. Experience is a good thing. You spend about 20 years doing this. So, it's, um, it's inevitable, but it's, it's definitely starting to happen. Have you ever had a player upset with your mock that where you placed him and, you know, maybe he talked to you about it later? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> I mean, I, there's several, usually the quarterbacks. Are, well, no, I mean, yeah, there's been a, there's been a bunch. I mean, I, there's one quarterback – who, um, whose sister threatened me. She wanted to smack me while I was standing in line at the ESPY. Uh, we shouldn't really laugh at that because that's kind of serious, but it is, I just I find it interesting. It gets awkward when they come to Bristol for their, you know, what we call the car wash and doing all the different shows. And I've been kind of railing on a player saying he's not as good as his some type of thinks or somebody else thinks and all, all that stuff. But usually, I mean, you know what I found over the years, too? It's interesting. I've kept a list of all the guys that have made, have had their agents reach out to me or have made comments or have cared at all about what I've said. Just about every single one has been a bust in the, in the league. And I think it, it speaks to just being focused on what's important, not you know, I, I, I think what I do is important. I love what I do, and hopefully it's entertaining, and I take my evaluations very seriously. But players shouldn't be listening to what anyone else has to say. They should be working on getting better and doing doing what they need to be doing from a focus standpoint. So it's been interesting to see that. Typically those guys are the ones that, um, that are worried about the wrong thing. Yeah. And before we let you go, because I know you are – this is very – a relatively busy time for you and you probably have a lot to do today. Can you think of a player um, in the last few years that you had being picked in a later round who really turned out to be a star that you were particularly proud of that pick and that player? Um, Aries Leonard last year for the Colts, the linebacker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was a second round pick, but he turned out to be the best rookie defensive player. Mm -hmm. And I, I really liked him. Uh, I mean, I could go down. There, there have been plays that have gone the other way too. So, but uh, but he stands out from from the recent years. This guy that I don't think a lot of people had that high grade on, and, and wound up coming in the league and just having success right away, which is hard to do no matter where you're picked. Yeah, absolutely, Todd. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, this has been just fantastic. We will look forward to 
continuing to read you in the next couple weeks, watch you, watch you on draft day. Um, but really appreciate you joining us today. This has just been fantastic. Good luck with everything. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Have a great day and a great draft. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, Steph. So we've got, we got our draft coverage down. Um, But I'd like you and I to talk a little bit about the NBA because um, it's been a big day or two. Um, I know. So much has happened in just the final few games of the NBA season. You know, we expect this all to be kind of really like, you know, everybody's, you know, knows where their seat is at this point, you know, and it, yesterday just floored me. <laughs> yesterday was quite a day. Those Los Angeles Light Lakers for a team that's going nowhere fast, they sure managed to stay in the news. Um so this obviously has no playoff in- implication, but I think worth discussing Magic Johnson stepping down and not telling anybody about it, telling ESPN about it right off the bat. Um, and props to Rachel Nichols, who's amazing. She is just incredible. She is so good at her job. She is always where the story is. Um, but wow. So that was something else. <laughs> what were your thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, I just thought it was bad form, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Jeannie Buss, um, you know, she obviously owns the Lakers. I think that she deserved to be told first and just out of respect for the position and who she is. And I get he's Magic Johnson. I get he's earned his stripes. But doing that descent at sort of a sort of explained what's going on with the Lakers. Like there's got to be some dynamic there that maybe there was a disagreement, but the way they played is not the franchise like the Lakers are known to do. They don't have it buttoned up. There's obviously more going on there than I even thought. I just thought, you know, sometimes the picks don't go your way. Sometimes, you know, the games don't go your way. LeBron James has not played very many games. You know, you don't, you can't always project that, but that to me just sent a message. And I saw a tweet by Woj this morning, and he basically said that he was the press president of basketball ops, but he was never in his office. He didn't like to travel. He would always do his own thing. So I think things are finally coming to head and it's sort of making sense. Yeah. And it, it may be the best thing in the long run for the team, um, but it was definitely quite a shock. And I would agree probably should let your own owner know first, no matter who you are, that is probably the better way to handle. So note to, note to, <laughs> note to self. <laughs> and self uh, that that is not the way to go. Uh, we saw Dwayne Wade's last game in Miami. Um, I don't know if anybody no. had a chance to look at the Budweiser tribute to him on Twitter. It is unbelievable. I'm getting a little teary thinking about it. Um, yes. Dirk Nowitzki is retiring. So those were there were a lot of you know big stories in the last couple of days, um, and then of course the playoffs start this weekend, and that should be very exciting. I think this could be a very exciting playoffs. I do still think that your Warriors are going to pull it out because I just don't think there's any team better, but I think it might be a little bit more exciting than we've had the last couple of years. Yeah, there's a couple of matchups, especially in the East, that I'm really you know. We've talked about this all NBA season, but there, I think that's going to be the real fun matchup to see, you know, who takes the East and who gets it. And it really could go any of four ways, I feel. 
but you always have those upsets. So it'll be fun to see. Um, I'm excited to see some of these young kids, um, you know, like Simmons and, you know, um, just a different, you know, all the kids on the Lakers and the Sixers and, you know, the, even the Raptors. I'm, I'm interested to see what Kawhi Leonard does, you know, in the playoffs. So there's a, it's going to be, um, it's going to be a fun playoffs. And I think that, um, you know, even, even on the West, you know, with the Rockets and the Blazers, I think it's all going to be uh, some pretty fun games in there. Yeah, I think so as well. What matchup in the East specifically, what's your favorite one that you're looking forward to? Well, it depends on how they go and how it, how it, you know, drops. But I do want to see, I'd like to see what actually happens in a series because we all know that these players, I mean, these teams have the ability to beat each other. Like the Celtics have at one time handed, you know, the Warriors the worst loss I've ever seen. But then the next day they lose to the Suns. So it's, it's really weird. It's like when they're on, they're on, but when they're off, it's, it's, really bad so I think it's just going to be interesting to see um but you know I want to see those teams kind of work it out between the Celtics the Raptors the Sixers and um I always forget one for some reason but um I think those are the four you know teams that I want to see make it you know to the you know off the second round off the third round you know I want to see them really go far so they can play each other <laughs> <laughs> that's fair that's totally fair and then I know of course I know where your heart is in the west as I've said I completely agree with it um but I do think we'll have some uh fun matchups um so that is coming up this weekend and uh, weekend and I know as we've discussed before but I have to ask you again as we get closer are there any teams in the west that scare you or is there any team in the west that scares you um no, I think that each team has had moments where it's scary, but I think right now the Warriors are locking in on all cylinders. And they've had a series of, like, bad games that were, like, horribly officiated, like, terrible. Like, And so I think that actually brought the team together because, and you know, during the season there was a lot of, you know, talk about – Durant and um, Draymond Green, whether, you know, they were having a, like a, a fight on the court, you know, and, and, you know, it's all words and it's an emotional game, but a lot of people speculated that this was going to be the end of the Warriors, internal destruction, you know, nobody lasts that long, you know, but there were the same talk about the Patriots, you know, the year before they went to the Super Bowl. There's always going to be that talk, but I think that the Warriors have, definitely come together they definitely feel the same way about the refs um all three Steph Durant and Draymond Green were all fined by the NBA for their comments but they all had each other's back so I think there's a they've actually found a way to come together and we'll see what happens next season but I just can't see um I can't see anyone you know winning four out of seven games I just I just don't see it it might take one or two but not four. I agree with that. And now speaking of the Warriors, obviously uh, we had the last regular season game at Oracle. I say we yes. as if I played in it or, or was there, but <laughs> neither, by the way, neither of those things happened. Spoiler alert. I did not play in the game, but with Oracle this being the last season, um, I would love if you could just share with us maybe one or two of your favorite memories there. 
Oh, there's so many. I mean, I grew up in the East Bay, and it was um, it was just something like we called it an old girl because that that oracle is in the arena is just been there forever, and since I was a little girl, obviously. And um, you know, one of the things that I always remember would be um, something we weren't expecting. Um, my dad would say hey, we're going to go to a basketball game tonight. And we would go, and this is when the Warriors were chronically terrible. But they were our team. They were terrible, and we loved them. And then, but even at Oracle, when I'm all the way, when I went to college at Cal at Berkeley, we would take the BART, and we were dirt poor in college. So right. they would be people that would be selling their tickets, um, you know, because they had season tickets and they couldn't go, we would get them for like 10 bucks and we'd get to sit way, way down there. And that really became like a bunch of young kids became the, the fans of Oracle. I mean, you always have, you know, the fans of just, you know, the Warriors and it's certainly grown these past few years, but that was really the core. And so it was just so much fun going and getting a ticket for 10 bucks and my have things changed you can barely afford to go these days like you have to like plan it but it's it's it has such um a great feeling and if anybody's never been to oracle it, it by far it's just a whole nother it's a whole nother thing and that's what i'm worried about of course going into the new um chase is that what's going to happen there so i'm hoping that it's the crowd has the same energy because it's a hard arena to play in um, with the fans and the way they are. And it's just, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that I, you know, it's, a, it's emotional to me at this point. But, you know, I'm sad to see it go, but it's just part of the, it's it's pretty old arena. So I can understand why the Warriors are moving forward. Wonderful. Well, thank you. I wanted to get, I wanted to get some thoughts from you because I knew you had um, a lot of thoughts on that. And I know that it is an emotional goodbye for you. Um, which always yeah, it was kind of like candlestick. Losing candlestick was I was going to say that, you know? It's, you know, very similar. It's And it's hard, you know, and I get it. And teams move on and grow. And this is a business. And you want to have the state of the art. And you want to be able to compete, not just on the court, but in the stands, so to speak. You want to have, you know, what a lot of these other arenas have. But of course, it is very emotional as fans when you say goodbye to the arena, the stadium that you grew up going to and rooting for your team in. Um, I feel like I feel like this new this new arena will have a lot of that same feeling. I think Warriors fans are a very uh, loyal group. Um, I know, of course, as you said, that fan base has grown dramatically over the last several years. Uh, Warriors fans yeah. do love their Warriors, uh, so I think that will you know, that will stay that way, but I, it remains. I heard actually a tidbit that I want to share because I think this is Please. funny, but if you, if you go into Oracle after, after they come out and warm out, warm up and Steph does his warm up, um, he always takes a shot from the tunnel, which is literally over 50 feet away. He does it from the wow. tunnel and it's people show up to the game early because they want to see it. He does not stop shooting until he makes it. So he usually makes it on the second or third try, which is, it's amazing, mm -hmm. you know, but it's like the coolest thing. So I have a friend that's actually engineering the new Chase Stadium. And when he was, 
because he's also a warrior, that he noticed that there's no tunnel (laughs) to shoot from. And so they are revamping that so they have something for for stuff to shoot from. And that's going to cost millions of dollars. But that's how important, you know, the, the fan base is and what people have come to expect out of the game, not just the the game itself, but the pregame and the warmups. I mean, it's just an amazing um, place. And I think um, it has a lot of memory. So hopefully they're going to honor the traditions we have and uh, keep the same things and really, really put a lot of Well, that is a good tidbit. So if they're doing that, I would imagine that they will. Well, it'll be exciting to see how that goes. But first, the Warriors have to get themselves another championship. Um, and that all begins this weekend. So we'll be talking about that in the coming weeks. Big thank you again to Todd McShay for joining us. Just incredible. Draft day is two weeks from tomorrow. Can't believe it. Um, and we are excited to see what happens. Uh, Steph, thank you as always. Of course. It's been fun. It was a fun one. I really enjoyed um, Todd, because I always wonder how they come up with these and how they switch people around. So it was really fun. Yeah, it was definitely very fun to hear. Um, all right, everybody, we'll be talking to you next week. Please feel free to tweet us and comment on your thoughts um, because we like to hear from you and want to hear what you think of our pod and what you'd like us to talk about. So make sure to let us know at Fangirl Sports and we'll talk to everybody soon. Goodbye, all. Bye, Steph. Bye.